Depending on how you use the internet, to you, a content creator might mean a person making millions of dollars posting videos of their daily lives, a Twitch streamer earning sponsorships to Marathon Game, or a performing artist finding a new stage and global audiences online. Whatever your reference, there's no denying the creator economy is one on the rise. Under the broad umbrella of creator, Canadians are abandoning their traditional 9-to-5 jobs to pursue a livelihood as content creators. So what does life as a content creator look like when the cameras aren't rolling? And as this economy grows, what supports and resources do Canadian creators need to flourish? Welcome to Let's Talk About the Internet, a conversation about the future of the internet in Canada. This podcast is part of a partnership between Meta and The Walrus. We're exploring the future of the internet. I'm your host, Mohit Rajans. Dr. Richard Latchman is the Director of Zone Learning and Associate Professor of Digital Media at X University. He joins us to talk about the creator economy in Canada and what supports are needed to help this industry succeed. Back in October, he discussed these issues at the Walrus Talks at Home, PanCon Online. I'll be talking to Richard more about this, but first, let's have a listen to that talk. Hi, I'm Richard Latchman. I'm a professor at X University. And clearly, content creation is a huge and growing industry over the last few years. When my students apply now to a media program, they're not sending a video they made in the high school AV club. They're sending their content channels. They're sending their subscriber accounts. They're sending their marketing partnerships they've worked out. So given that growth, I want to talk about content creators in a way we don't normally think about it content creators as members of the gig economy. And that's not normally what we think about in the gig economy conversation. This is not an Uber driver or a food oil delivery, where we tend to think of those as worked, managed through our phones and turned into an almost mechanistic, non-human way where things just get done. Content creators are, of course, highly visible. They're highly human. They're personality driven. But from a labor point of view, uh, they had freelance work in the service of a large technology-driven company, Uh, That life is at the whim of an algorithm. Uh, There's no job security. There's no benefits. And the streamer or the content creator is not an employee, even though the work they do is the company's primary driver of revenue. We're starting to hear individual streamers and creators talk about burnout. And that's sometimes invisible because when a content creator disappears, someone appears right behind them. Uh, It's an incredibly competitive landscape. But it is time for this industry to grow up. Uh, Digital businesses have been protected from the rules of law or even social practices because we want to nurture their growth. Uh, But it's time to think about how wider society is affected by these emerging digital businesses because they're not emerging anymore. They're huge. We need to think about sustainability, fairness. We need to think that the fact that something uses digital technology shouldn't protect it from the intention of our laws, even if our laws haven't exactly caught up. So I want to talk about some specific challenges in the content creator world. Uh, Chief among these is the 24-7 demands of an insatiable audience. If you have just completed an eight-hour game stream and you shut down, you have a satisfied portion of an audience, but someone else has just woken up and they are demanding, what have you done for them lately? It's an incredibly competitive landscape. Uh, There are lots of options for individual audience members and a lot of expectations for how much content they're going to make. There are no sick days, there's no parental leave. And so it means 
as a long-term career choice, there's some challenges in this. Uh, there's an opportunity cost. If you've chosen to become really good at content creation, what haven't you done? Did you drop out of school? Did you not pursue other skills developments? And as you age up and maybe you're no longer 19 and your finger is no longer on the pulse of what's cool in this place, what's the job left for you? Uh, athletes, if they move out of their prime productive uh, period as an athlete can become commentators, they can become coaches. What do streamers become? Another thing I want to touch on is the nature of the work environment. If you think about toxic work environments for other kinds of jobs, and then you look at the YouTube comment stream, that is a toxic environment and you are isolated, you're alone, and you're dealing with something that can be extremely challenging. And so the mental health components of your day-to-day -day work can be tremendously difficult. There's also high vertical integration. So when you are working in, in this, you are the marketing team, you are the technology team, you're the media maker, you're the editor, you're working on merchandising, everything as one person. And that may be really difficult to do. So until you get really big enough to have a team, you're doing everything yourself, the mistakes and the stress of making all of these negotiations to try and make a living. And maybe you got in to focus on the content, but you have to do everything. Um, the last thing I want to touch on is things around the dealing with the platform. There's not a lot of transparency into terms of service, into the fairness of the cut. So different platforms have a very different business deal. If I think about Spotify, where if you're a musician, you get uh, a share of all plays. So if you have a couple of plays versus millions or billions of plays, you get a very tiny amount of money versus a platform like SoundCloud, where if I'm a subscriber and all my views are of your content, you get the majority of my, my, uh, my subscription. So what's happening and what needs to happen? We're starting to see fan and public pressure into changing some of the terms of service, transparency, and the ways the platforms operate. We're starting to see mental health be part of the conversation in content creation, just like it's happening in athletics and other parts of our society. We're starting to see professionalization. So there are now management services. There are now influencer marketing groups that will deal with the brand relationships. That's challenging because as in the early days of music, you may go into a contract that you don't know a lot about and sign with a deal. So hopefully we won't see exploitation, but we're starting to see some professional services to help you. And the last thing we're starting to see is organized labor. There are talks of streamer movements. There've been boycotts on the part of collective groups of streamers. We're starting to see group and collective bargaining for shares of things. So I think as this happens, as this grows up, we're going to start to see some massive changes in who's going into content streaming, how they're thinking of this as a career choice, and what the platforms are doing in their relationships. That's Dr. Richard Latchman speaking at the Walrus Talks at Home, CanCon Online. He joins me now to talk more about the growing creator economy. Thanks for joining us, Richard. Thanks, Mohit. Great to be here. You know, it's it's been a very interesting time period right now. And so I want to ask you right off the top, what is the creator economy and who is a part of it here in Canada? Sure. So I, I think it's really interesting when we talk about the creative economy that it sounds like we're talking about a monolithic entity and we're not. Uh, I like to think of kind of three categories of content creators. So one is kind of the 
the amateur, the lifestyle uh, person. This is someone with under 100 subscribers. This is someone who's producing a little bit of content. Um, they have more than one or two pieces of content, but they're not professional in any way. They're trying to figure out who they are. Is there a voice they have? And then kind of the, the second level is, is kind of like the SME of a content creator world. They're emerging. They've got a style. They've got a format. And they're starting to get a little bit of traction. But just like any other emerging startup, uh, they need to scale up. So they, they can see where they want to go. They have some unique voice or some unique format. And they're really focusing on how do I get to do this more than as a, as a part-time gig. Uh, and then we have the at-scale people, the full-time professionals. Uh, they are focusing on professionalizing. Maybe they're focusing on sustainability of what they're doing. And those three types of people have very different worlds they live in. And so their relationship with the platforms, relationship with regulation, the relationship with the fans, what they spend their time doing is very different. I think that's an important thing because we, we kind of muddle this all together. If you look at the sort of mythology of a content creator put out by YouTube or put out by uh, any of the platforms who want to say anyone can have a voice, anyone can get their content out there. It's not exactly the same depending on who you are. I think it's also interesting. You, you speak and you try to narrow it down, but the scope is so big. And so when the scope of the term creator is this big, what are some of the misconceptions that, you know, the general public makes about the industry and what it takes to produce this kind of work? If we look at maybe the two outside ends of this content creator economy. So the people just starting out, maybe interested in this, and the people who are making millions. The people starting out look at the people making millions and say, it's great. I make money playing video games. I'm going to make a living making silly, goofy sketches with my friends. And the professionalization is masked by some of the uh, the effortless nature of what it seems like to be a professional content creator. You need to feel authentic. You need to feel like you're just hanging out, partying with a few of your friends or in a, in, a, in a content creation house, or you just had this crazy idea. But that can be very studied. Just because I'm doing something goofy on TikTok uh, as a sketch, I'm still a creator. I'm still trying to figure out how to connect with my audience, yet also be true to my form and not be slavish to an audience. Right. I think many people love to uh, use social media to show that I'm not a monolith. I don't have one side of my personality. I have multiple sides. What are some of the decisions content creators need to make when trying to establish a sustainable business model? So people are trying to say, are there many ways I can build revenue? Not just through the ads that are on my YouTube or on my TikTok or whatever it is. So subscriptions and uh, tips, but also understanding merchandising, understanding affiliate links. Uh, people are making products. So they might be using a platform like Kickstarter or GoFundMe to fund some other media product that they're trying to make and put out there. Maybe that's an album. Maybe that's a short film. Uh, maybe they're selling individual products like makeup kits. Um, people are really trying to diversify something so that instead of the platform owning my business, I own my business. So if I'm only on one platform, they have everything. They are my sole path to my audience and their sole path to revenue. So if you are beholden to any one platform, that's not you're, you're subject to a change in terms of service. You're subject to being deplatformed. You're subject to a temporary ban, and then suddenly you lose your income and you might lose your audience. When you're diversified, you maybe have multiple channels. You may be um, able to sell different things in a different way, and you're able to get the other thing that that business coach will tell you, which is passive income. What do you believe are the biggest challenges young content creators face? Not even just young content creators, content creators in general face. So one of the challenges is the 
24-7 demand of an insatiable audience. This is a, a global audience. So no matter how much content you produce, the audience is hungry for more. If they like you, they're going to demand more and they're going to move somewhere else if they aren't getting the more. So it means you have to produce content sometimes around the clock. You did an eight-hour Twitch stream. Well, the second you end it, someone else just woke up and tuned in. So they are hungry for what are you giving me right now? And if they aren't finding something from one place or a person they subscribe to, they'll go somewhere else. So that, that real nature of always having to produce content, never having a pause, can, at the beginning of this, feel incredibly exciting. It can feel like, I love this. I get to live this. And you can do that for weeks. You can do that for months. You can do that for the first year. Uh, but it will start to take its toll. I think the second thing is this feedback idea. So you are doing everything right in front of the biggest critics of the world who, who at you know all hours of the day will tell you exactly what they think of what you're making. So you have to both listen and have thick skin at the same time. That's incredibly hard because no matter what you do, someone will love it and some people will hate it and both of them will tell you. And so the you, you right now, you know, at the beginning, at that at that SME, at that emerging content creator moment, you, you can't fall back on, well, I have a million people who love me even if a thousand people hate me, so that makes me feel okay. How are you going to know what to listen to? How are you going to have the guts to keep putting yourself out there in this way when you don't necessarily have credibility yet? You don't necessarily have feedback. Failures are not just a failure in an out-of-the-way basement theater somewhere. Your failure has just as much visibility as your biggest success, potentially. So you can get famous for failure. That's challenging. And then the third part is getting better at the craft of this. So if you're starting out, it's just you. And you have to learn how to shoot video if that's what you're doing. You have to learn how to edit if that's what you're doing. You have to learn uh, audio. You have to learn search engine optimization. You have to learn marketing. You're hoping to try and get connections with brands. You're hoping to try and find other revenue streams here. Uh, I think for the early creators, they tend to be much more uh, at the mercy of the platform. There's one place they can make money from. That tends to be maybe just the ads that are running on the platform. As you get better and better, there's more diversity in that revenue stream. But when you're just starting out, it's the platform. And so you've got a ton of things to learn simultaneously, and it's just you. I often wonder when it comes down to watching the success of certain creators. It's fascinating to me to, to watch the trajectory of creators right now. But what role can social platforms and media companies play in supporting sustainable labor conditions for content creators? So you are starting to see some of the um, access and services that platforms are giving. I'm thinking of YouTube having things for their higher end creators. If you are past a certain subscription level, you get access to the you know YouTube studios or you get access to workshops and maybe um part of that community. It hasn't necessarily been a two-way street. It has been a, we are the platform owner. We will tell you, and we will maybe give you some access to some other things we offer. It's not really about listening to what are we hearing from you. That that level of kind of ownership is a really strange one from a labor point of view, that the platforms really have been an extractive industry. They really have been, you're out there, we will gain as much as we can from you. The thing you get from us is the tools we offer. They operate like big companies, uh, meaning the people they really think of who they're offering services to are the advertisers. There are, of course, uh, content creator-focused rollout of tools, but that relationship tends to not be as close. It tends not to offer as much to the content creators. And I think we're seeing a reaction to this. We're seeing content creators start to find each other. So I don't know that there will ever be a content creators union, <laughs> but the idea that there could be 
collective knowledge sharing and collective arguments. We've seen some of that. A site like OnlyFans dealing with the adult content world changed their terms of service and then got pushed back from their content creators and changed back. There are more conferences where content creators find each other. There are more online conversations happening between creators about how to best work with the platforms. Do you feel like there's there's a role that regulation plays in developing a sustained and growing creative economy? So that's an interesting question, because if we think of content creation as the way we do any other kind of media creation, there is a role, certainly in Canada, for regulation in some aspects. It's been a bit heavy handed in the modern era, it seems ridiculous that a, a legislator would not have deep knowledge of the internet and the digital sphere. It is still true that there's limited knowledge of the internet and the digital sphere and the part of regulators. So it hasn't been incredibly sophisticated. I do believe there's a place. It might be on the labor side. It might be on the fairness of, of payments. It might be on the transparency of payments. We're starting to change the relationship that the, um, the streamers have or the content carriers and platforms have in terms of uh, monitoring content in terms of fake news. So the safe harbor provisions that are available in the U.S. and whatever equivalents there are in Canada, I think that will need to change um, because of the effects that we're seeing on society. So we tried this vast unregulated experiment. We're seeing the effects of vast unregulated content. And I think there is going to be a change for what do you need in terms of moderators? What do you need in terms of a human at the other end who can actually change the relationship with you, can restore your account if you've been temporarily frozen, can actually give you service uh, because this is your business now? I, I wanted to move um, a little bit towards diversity. I think it's important for us to discuss the fact that uh, one of the original ideas of what internet content creators could really bring to the table is this plethora of diverse voices and this potential to actually engage in various uh, diverse stories. What is the state of diversity in the creator economy and how do you think that differs from more traditional avenues of media consumption like film and television or even in traditional media outlets, for example. So I do think this is a case where, again, there's a bit of a mismatch between the optics and the actuality. So the optics, the press release and the, you know, the glorious video ad shows this huge range of all kinds of people able to sell their voice. And the basic platform allows that. Yes, anyone can set up an account, anyone can get their voice out there. But when we look at who is able to do this on a consistent basis as a professional, who is able to actually get a large audience, who is able to maintain a brand relationship, it doesn't seem to be exactly mapping that press release. I haven't seen fantastic data on exactly how diverse these content creators are. What I have seen is a lot of interviews of diverse content creators, content creators of color, for example, talking about difficulties they've had in maintaining brand relationships. They're offered something and told there's no budget. They're offered a relationship and they find out later they were paid less than, say, a white content creator. Being told, you know, after the events of a couple of summers ago, suddenly, oh, you're a black content creator. We would like our brand to be partnered with you and to actually get your, your connection here. But there was a lack of authenticity in how deep that connection was going to be. There were some reports of tokenization, some reports of suddenly on a dime, we would like to pull you in here and have you tell us more about our business, have us speak a voice for us. But we haven't done work to understand actually what our business is in terms of diversity. We haven't looked to see how deep that content change is going to happen in our business. We just want to have a partnership. So that that is paralleling other industries that are really kind of trying to deal with diversity and inclusion and real equity as opposed to surface level equity. So it does seem like there are diverse content creators out there. Of course, there are some areas where they have deep engagement with different audiences. 
but I'm finding on the brand relationship side, it's still not equal. Uh, there still seems to be a difference between who can professionalize and who can't. It's interesting as well. If I go back into that question, do you feel the creator economy is helping to change some of the representation in some of the other uh, media that we refer to, like film, television? How do you feel? Do you feel like it's having some positive influence there or do you feel like it's an entirely different world? We're starting to benefit from the media sophistication of creators now. So if I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago, if someone was a breakout on some sort of platform on, on the net, their way of making a living was to cross over to traditional media. And often we saw crash and burns. We saw people who were really good at flying by the seat of the pants online, and then they switched to a traditional brand relationship on television, and either they're terrible at it or their style doesn't match what a television broadcaster or doesn't match what a television advertiser is looking for. It's suddenly they're swearing, they're denigrating someone, they're joking in a way that's not you know, to brand standards, etc. Where I think we are today is we have much more sophisticated creators who are much more comfortable in understanding the gig, in understanding maybe how different media platforms, meaning television as much as it does Twitter versus uh, TikTok, uh, function and what the rules are. So how is diversity being affected by that? I think it's being affected as part of this larger shift, as part of this larger professionalization that people are able to say, hey, if I'm going to be on your committee and you are looking because you saw me on this platform and I have a voice, you want me to be part of an advisory group? Is that a paid advisory group? Uh, is that a board seat that I actually have some power on as opposed to being tokenization? That's a question I'm hearing more people ask because they're starting to say that has value now. So I'm going to, I'm going to seek the ones that are meaningful and I'm going to make sure that it actually has value to me as well. I think it's also interesting to see that people have used this pandemic as a way to get back to some of the things that they love. And it has all opened the ideas to how versatile the creator economy can really be. How have you seen the pandemic affecting content creators at an individual level and as an industry as a whole? So it's as if the pandemic were, of course, a crash course in how can I make a living when I can't go to work? It was also a lot of people saying, hey, I got a chance now. I, want, I would like to try and do something. Either I want to do something I love or I want to do something that makes the world better. Both of those might be possible in a creator-driven economy. So some people are saying, okay, I don't want that terrible wage job. I want a job where I'm going to try. Uh, so I think the pandemic allowed a lot of people to experiment. A lot of people had the time and space to get better at this. Uh, maybe even the Serb benefit allowed some people to have a little bit of uh, space. And we saw musicians and we saw theater performers try to pivot in some ways, some successfully and some less successfully. But I've certainly heard a lot of people say, I'm not going to fully go back. If everything opened up tomorrow, I wouldn't go back to doing things the way I did. I actually find that I'm able to create. I'm able to maintain something in some online creative way. One of my great examples is Miss XL, a TikTok creator who doesn't really think of themselves as making their money through the TikTok platform. They do dancing and silly jokes, but they give Excel tips. And all of that is to push content to their subscribers for their webinar series. And they make six figures uh, in months creating tutorials and webinars, and that's their business model. So they are making other content somewhere else and they quit their day job uh, and they can do this full time. Let's do a little bit of a crystal ball question here. Let's consider 30 years from now, when we look back at how our society creates and consumes content, how do you think future generations will view the era we're currently in? I always have a particular lens when I look at this kind of future casting, right? That the evidence of what might happen 30 years from now around today, we'll probably miss the how. Uh, you know, we, we aren't paying attention to the right signals, but they're around us. 
what I think will happen 30 years from now that we can say is there has to be some shift in sustainability of content creation. So there has to be some way of either people figuring out how the relationship is going to work, how their business model is going to work, uh, and how they as a creator are able to start in this as a profession, as a long-term livelihood, whether that means an association, regulation, different tools, etc. There will be some shift to this uh, just because of the push of mental health. I think there will be a different relationship with the platforms. There will have to be some different level of transparency around how the algorithm works, at least in the level of um, when you're banned, when you're not banned, what's going to actually be explicit terms of service. And I think we're going to see this because too many companies, too many businesses, as the content creator is, are going to demand it. Uh, so this professionalization of, of standards, of supports, of knowledge sharing and education will sort of balance the asymmetric power experience, which is there right now. It'll have to grow up. I have no idea what content creators in a metaverse world are going to be like. I'm not going to try and crystal ball that side of it. Something weird will happen, and then it'll filter into the mainstream. When it's an edge case, all the mainstream people will say, that's crazy. No one's ever going to watch someone play video games or whatever weird thing it is, and then until everyone is. We'll miss it, but those edge cases are where we should be looking now, those subgroups, those subcultures that are really doing the experimentation, and then we'll see them come to the mainstream. And that's probably a good way for us to wrap this up. One of the things that we were, were coming to the idea of based on your wonderful thoughts and conversation is that there's a lot of fantastic room to explore the creator economy and uh, what's emerging right now. Any final words you want to share either your, your talk earlier or some of the conversation that we've had today? Sure. So I maybe want to say something to anyone who is starting out or is trying to do this because everything seems critical, right? I can say, oh, burnout is a real problem. And, you know, there's a huge asymmetry between the power of the platforms and learn and learn from each other. All of that can be true, but the real spark for is the same as with any other creator. You have to start making stuff. So if anyone is listening, I don't want to be discouraging for the making of content. The only way to get better at this is to actually just start. Get that cheap camera or using your phone and just make lots of stuff out there. Yes, it might be risky. Yes, you might you know, be worried that you're getting critique. But the real truth is everyone who started uh, and got any success had to do it a lot. I worry that as someone who studies and critiques what's out there, it seems like I'm against it. I'm a huge proponent. I think there are wonderful things that we can make and huge range of voices. I think it's not effortless, uh, but I do think ultimately this access is going to get us to more interesting conversations, more interesting kind of stories and content getting out there. It's just we shouldn't pretend it's not going to be a lot of work. Dr. Latchman, Richard, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. I hope we can do it again sometime. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Richard Latchman is an associate professor of digital media at X University. You can find out more about his work by following him on Twitter. Thank you for listening to episode three of Let's Talk About the Internet, a podcast for Meta, produced by the Walrus Lab. I'm your host, Mohit Rogers. Thank you to our producers, Nikki Manfredi and Jason Herterick, and our audio editor, Michael Allen, who helped put together this episode. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player and share it with a friend. We'll be releasing a new episode in two weeks.